job ready? Employer says yes. This programme is presented by Eduvate, education and innovation. I'm Jonathan Brill. And in today's show, it's been a poor month for the UK's education system, and we pile on the misery with news on how the UK fares against other European countries in terms of education provision. As we approach a critical time of the year as young people are seeking jobs, we receive some of the top tips from our illustrious interviewees. They have provided these over the past couple of months. And finally, we report on the charismatic Elon Musk's views on artificial intelligence and warfare. The UK is trailing behind a number of Central and Eastern European countries on its level of education, according to the latest official EU-wide figures on the subject. Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Poland and Slovenia all spend a higher proportion of their gross domestic product on education than Britain. This is according to the latest Eurostat figures. Half of Scots who graduated from university and some college courses in the past five years are working in non-graduate jobs, according to the Office for National Statistics. A survey from the ONS published last week, suggests 52% are in jobs which do not require further or higher education qualifications. These include those with qualifications like HNDs and HNCs and higher level of SVQs through to degree level and onwards. But university leaders say the ONS definition of graduate is too broad. They cite different studies showing that up to 72% of full-time first-degree leavers were in posts classified as professional employment six months after graduating from university. Current research is examining the lives of Generation Y. That's millennials to you and me, born between 1980 and 2000. There's been a steady increase in the number of people in this age bracket going into further education, with the number of students in Scotland on the rise. However, it has been suggested that many might not ultimately go into careers related to their studies or even those considered graduate professions. And now, as you're approaching that all-important job interview, we recap on some great tips from our eminent faculty of experts. How do you advise a young person, 18, 19 years old, to look at the forthcoming 20, 30, 40, 50 years? What do you think we should be saying to them? So the advice for me that I give them is explore all your options, be curious, be a learner, uh, understand that that all, it all takes time and, and effort. It takes hard work to achieve results. It takes determination and grit and perseverance to achieve results. That these things don't happen overnight. Uh, that there are no overnight success stories. Uh, overnight success stories are just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. You know, the rest of the icebergs uh, has been made and formed under the under the ocean for for hundreds and or thousands of years. So, so you need to understand as a as a as a young person coming up that uh, that these these um, these things don't come easily, and that that you need to be um, 
really uh, naturally curious uh, so that you're, you're not missing out uh, and, or, or you're being pigeonholed down one, on one road. Naturally curious or being encouraged how to be curious, ability to learn and learning how you learn. Yes. It's been gold dust. Thank you so much. Robbie Mitchell. Thank you. So all our listeners wouldn't mind some really expert tips from a leading recruitment consultant. So what are the mistakes most commonly that young people make at interview? A lack of preparation and research. The singular biggest reason for people not to get a job um, by failing the interview, if you like, is not to have articulated the background knowledge, the understanding of, and the interest in a particular company and a particular job. So if you've got an interview in the morning, what you should be doing tonight is looking at as much information as you can on the company, why you would want to work there, what you think you would be good at if you got the job. That's uh, terrific advice. And to impress, what is the thing the person should most do at interview? Be quite willing and able to communicate their passion. If you allow your passion to show through and if you allow your obvious interest for the job and the areas that the job covers, then you will put yourself above the other interviewees because you can articulate this real love, desire, passion. And that's what employers are looking for. Thank you so much. I've been talking to Robin Huggins at MBN Solutions. I'm in a city called Glasgow where it says... Glasgow makes people. We're certainly in an agency which contributes to that. Robin, thank you very much indeed. So how would a young person, whether they're at university or somewhere else, begin to prepare for a job with you? It's interesting at what point people acquire different skills. Um, Technology seems to be readily acquirable um, by some people. Uh, It's fairly um, self-taught to a certain extent or can be. Um, and that is that simply learn technical skill. Um, the next stage on from that is to apply that skill set to rich content, and that's a taught skill. Um, it's commonly taught at school and university, um, mastering of information, but more importantly, ordering that information and structuring it so that you've got the opportunity to construct a view of the information that you've assimilated and are capable of expressing that view coherently and intelligently. To wrap this up, I'm thinking about the young people knocking on your door looking for a job. What is it you're looking for from them in a specific sense? Um, Well, in in my world, obviously, I'm in software, so I like people who are uh, technically technically gifted, really. But um, but more importantly with that, then they've got to be able to engage with customers. They've got to have, and and a lot of what they they call the soft skills, it's not necessarily the the hard skills and being brilliant at uh, mathematics, physics, or or chemistry. It's the, some of the times it's the soft skills and being able to engage with customers and actually understand uh, what their what their needs are, and then translate them into into in a form that uh, that makes sense to the team. I run a course for um, school leavers trying to get the first job, and there's an approach that they should take. 
When you go to that first interview, take two things with you. Take a copy of your CV. I know you've sent the CV to the client, but take a copy of your CV and print out the landing page of that company. Print out the landing page or some information about that company. Staple those two bits of paper together and put them in an envelope. The reason for this is that you will be better prepared than most of the other people they interview. You will be sitting in reception waiting to go into the interview with nothing to read by the two bits of paper in your envelope. So you're likely to read a bit about the company. When you go into the meeting, you remove the two pieces of paper from the envelope. You turn your CV round so it faces the people that interviews you and push it forward. The chances are, if they're like me, they don't have a copy of your CV with you. And suddenly you look incredibly well organised. Okay, so a young person is thinking about working with you and arranges to have a conversation with you. What's the worst thing they could do? Um, Talk constantly. I think that asking questions is a really good way to get flowing conversation going. And it's a really good way for me as an employer to understand where your interests lie, where your passions are, what you're interested in, what you're good at, you know, how intuitive you are and how you can be beneficial to me. So I have done, I've done some interviews before, I've done hiring before. And if people ask me a question, I don't know the answer to, I know they're on to something. Because I'm like, right, that's such a value because I didn't even know I wasn't thinking about that. So I think sometimes people come in and nervously chat through, I've, I've done this, here's my entire history. And I think that, um, that that's not necessarily the case. I also would research into the role you're looking at and the business you're working with in their industry. Um, I know that when I so when I graduated with a communications degree and I looked at jobs in public relations firms, I did a couple of job interviews, but I just knew the industry from my experience at university, and I didn't necessarily know a lot about the companies I was interviewing with. And that already puts you at hindrance because they've got their own agenda and ambition of growth and you're being brought into that team to help that growth. So it's really good to have an understanding of it. So always do your research for the companies you're going into. Here at Eduvate, we have long championed further debate about artificial intelligence and the change it will bring to the jobs market. Elon Musk from Tesla has said again that artificial intelligence could be humanity's greatest existential threat, threatening its existence, not just jobs, this time by starting a third world war. The prospect clearly weighs heavily on Musk's mind, since the SpaceX, Tesla and Boring Company chief tweeted at 2.33am about how artificial intelligence could lead to the end of the world. His fears were prompted by a statement from Vladimir Putin that artificial intelligence is the future not only for Russia, but for all humankind. It comes with colossal opportunities, but also threats. Threats that are difficult to predict. Whoever becomes the leader in the sphere, Putin argues, will become the leader of the world. Hashing out his thoughts in public, Musk clarified that he was not just concerned about the prospect of a world leader starting the war, but also of an overcautious AI, let's say a robot, deciding that a preemptive strike is the most probable path to victory. He, Musk, is less worried about North Korea's increasingly bold nuclear ambitions, arguing 
that the result for Pyongyang if they launched a nuclear missile would be suicide. His view? AI is vastly more risky than the Kim Jong unled country. Musk's fear of artificial intelligence warfare has been a driving force in his public statements for a long time. Last month, he was one of more than a hundred signatories calling for a UN-led ban of lethal autonomous weapons. Once developed, lethal autonomous weapons will permit armed conflict to be fought at a scale greater than ever and at timescales faster than humans can comprehend. These can be weapons that despots and terrorists use against innocent populations and weapons hacked to behave in undesirable ways. We do not have long to act. Once this Pandora's box is opened, it will be hard to close. And here's a special offer. If you are a registered Eduvate user, and if you want to comment on any of the stories you've heard in our podcasts, or receive introductions to any or all of the people that we've interviewed, we'd be happy to help. You'll find us online at eduvate.biz. Job ready. Employer says yes.